0: This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney. Our guest is Father Chuck Dornquist. He is the vocations director for the diocese. First off, can you talk about the process of discernment? A lot of men and women out there are wondering, you know, is God calling me to a vocation here? So... Talk a little bit about if you're a young man or woman trying to determine if God is calling you, what do you do? Yeah, awesome. So I think one of the most important things to remember when it comes to
1: discernment of your vocation is, one, the Lord's already calling you to be holy. That's by nature of your baptism. It's by nature of his love for you. That's not something you have to figure out. Like the question of, am I called to do something special for the Lord? Is my life meant to be different? Is God asking me to be holier? That's always yes. Like the Lord loves you, desires you, wants to draw you closer to his heart, wants to utilize your heart to manifest his own in the lives of others. That's always the case. I think when we're actually growing in holiness, when we're spending time in prayer, when we're spending time in the sacraments, as we find ways to serve our own local communities in small ways, as we do that, the Lord then begins to reveal the more significant aspects of a vocation of service to the church, which would be priesthood or marriage or the permanent diaconate or consecrated life. Those vocations, which we consider as like the major, the primary vocations, anytime someone thinks about discernment, it's about marriage or priesthood or consecrated or permanent diaconate. But really, those are simply moments in which the Lord is asking you to serve on top of the baptismal call of holiness. So if you're living a life growing in holiness, working on your holy hour, spending time in the scriptures, trying to draw closer to him, and then you have an experience of the Lord inviting you to consider priesthood or putting a holy desire for marriage on your heart, a desire to truly give yourself to someone and to take care of them. If you're maybe in the chapel, if you're at mass or adoration, And suddenly the image of priesthood settles on your heart and there's this fire that kind of kicks up with it or the same with consecrated life. I know some women, they have this experience where they feel like the Lord invites them to belong entirely to him and to be dependent on him, almost like a spousal invitation. Discernment of a vocation is really about attentiveness to those moments so discernment, I don't think, it's not about trying to figure out what the Lord has called me to be and doing a plus and minus, and if I'm a priest, then I'll be happy or miserable. It's it's really about attentiveness to the moments that the Lord has already chosen you. So the ways in which he's already inviting you to follow after him. When I was in high school, I had a moment before the Blessed Sacrament that is the only reason that priesthood came on my radar. So for me, discernment wasn't about figuring out if that event actually happened. It was discerning how to give my life more to what that event meant and learning that I can truly trust that the Lord was calling me to priesthood.
0: Can you go a little deeper about that moment in front of the Blessed Sacrament? 100%. So,
1: I was a freshman in high school. I went on this retreat. Davis Watts was the youth minister. I went on the retreat mainly because there were more girls in youth ministry than guys. (laughs) Uh, I made bets with my friends. I'd come back with more phone numbers. And on this retreat, I ended up having an experience with Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament on the Saturday night during adoration. I felt loved. I felt more loved in that moment in front of the Blessed Sacrament than I had known up into that moment in my life. And then an immediate follow-up invitation with it of if there was something that I could do with my life that I would feel would be worthwhile, it would be to allow others to have that same experience, to give others that same experience of being so deeply loved. And that comes from the Blessed Sacrament. So I was 14 years old and knew very much that I wanted to give other people Jesus Christ in the Eucharist and to provide them that encounter with him which meant being a priest. Did Uh, you ever doubt that or question it? Definitely. There were times when I lost track of it. So I like to think of it like I have this gold nugget experience, this, this thing that I cannot deny. I can't, I can't fake that that moment didn't happen. I can't pretend or I can try, but I can't like historically it's a fact. Now there were other events through high school times that I fell in love with some other girls drama, that my dad's addiction, other things that made it very difficult to remember that moment that almost tried to cover up that moment or fears that would begin to wrap that moment up. And I'd become distracted from the actual reality of it. I'd be distracted by the reality, by the fears. And am I enough? Am I holy enough? Am I smart enough? Good enough? Whatever. But the fact that that event took place never disappeared. And so even as I would go forward towards seminary and in my own discernment in seminary and the times that I wanted to be a priest, times that I really didn't want to be a priest, that I wanted to be married and have kids, it was always a referencing back to those experiences I had had of the Lord choosing me. And when I allowed the fears or the doubts or the concerns and the misconceptions of others, when I allowed those to drop, then I could again, see the Lord's invitation, but again, it was about attentiveness to what he's already given and not a figuring out. I think a lot of times I would get stuck in seminary, navel gazing. So you get caught up looking within yourself, like you stay so in tuned and so self-centric that you don't see the one who's inviting you or calling you. You end up not making any decisions or the decisions you make are made out of fear or your best guess versus the decisions that the Lord are
0: inviting us to, which are far more adventurous and require more of us than we could ever fathom. Of the young men who enter the seminary, do you have a percentage you can share with how many actually see it to ordination? I'd say overall, like there's the national averages, um, that it's a good five or six out of 10
1: that make it from seminary, uh, starting seminary and finishing into priesthood. That's going to vary, though, depending on location, on the work of the vocations office, how much time is being put in with discerners before they go into seminary, the quality of the formation that they receive. So it goes up and down. Our numbers as of late here at the diocese haven't been extraordinary. Through COVID, we definitely lost a good number of seminarians. We're going to be without an ordination for the next four years, unfortunately. On the other side of that, we have 18 men studying to be priests, so 18 seminarians once we get through that four year. When they go to seminary, it's not with a certainty on my side or theirs that they're called, but it's with a strong hunch. It's that they've experienced something that looks like a priestly vocation. They've had a moment in their life, they've had something happen that really like it feels differently. It looks different. It seems like it's a priestly vocation. And then that time in seminary is to test it, to, to engage it, to give it space to grow. And as it's given space to grow to see, is this growing into a priestly vocation? And sometimes it's not. Sometimes a really good holy man has an experience before the blessed sacrament on a retreat where he feels incredibly loved by the Lord and feels a desire to serve. And that's awesome. Like that's a tremendous gift, but that's not a priestly vocation. That's the call of holiness of the baptized. That's what all of us are invited into, but it can take time to begin to tease that out. Like, is this a priestly vocation? So he goes into seminary and in attentiveness and in discernment of what's going on in his heart and what the Lord's already given to him, hopefully with the church, he's able to see like, that was a beautiful moment and that's a great calling but it's not a priestly vocation. So like when I meet with individuals and they say they want to be priests because they want to help people, I'm very confident in telling them, that's beautiful, (laughs) but that's not a priestly vocation. That's not a calling, that's the calling of the baptized. When someone meets with me and tells me that they've had various multiple moments, both before the Blessed Sacrament or at Mass and in the community, where they've felt the invitation from the Lord to celebrate Mass, to preach to others, to hear confessions, and that it moves their heart and that there's fear, there's doubt, there's doubt of their own worthiness in the midst of all that, but they've had those moments. That's more of a priestly vocation. And that's my work. That's the work of being a director of vocations. And then the work of the seminarians and seminary is being attentive to what it is that they've experienced as a call and watching it grow. How long is the seminary? So seminary takes eight to nine years They've recently actually remade what our seminary program looks like. So it's called the Program of Priestly Formation. It's given by Rome for the entire world to follow the program. And then each bishop's conference is entrusted with customizing it to the needs of the conference. So our priests would need to be formed differently here in the United States than, say, a priest in Nigeria. One of the main additions to it is called a propedeudic Year. And this propedeutic year, sure. what? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> propedeutic, meaning it's a Greek way of saying preparatory. So this year, the guy is a seminarian. So it's not a pre-seminary thing. He's a seminarian. And this year is really dedicated as a detox from the world. So detox from social media, a detox from smartphones, returning to a more natural, so to speak, way of being in the world and in relationship with others. Focusing not so much on academic accomplishments, so disengaging from academics and focusing on a life of prayer, of fraternity, and setting oneself, setting a seminarian up so that he can then engage with the remaining years of his seminary formation with a greater sense of ease, confidence, and maturity. What the church was finding is that we had really good men who were experiencing a call to priesthood, had a desire to serve. But we're coming into seminary with less than what men say 10 or 15 or 30 years ago were coming in with. Why? Culture and society. So where men were coming from 10, 15, 30 years ago, stronger family values, Mm -hmm. stronger understanding of Catholicism, more people knowing their prayers. It was common for people to be able to pray together, knowing their basic catechesis. And now we have these really good like holy people who desire to follow the Lord, who experience a calling but they've come from a very different culture and a culture that's dominated by secularism, unlike how it was in the past. And so the church hoping to prepare our seminarians to be able to receive the most that they can from their time in seminary is giving them this propedeutic or preparatory year. That's going to be something that all of our seminarians experience, whether they've been a missionary for life teen in the past, or they're coming in directly out of high school, they're going to experience this propedeutic year. And then begin taking their philosophical studies, and then their theology, and then finally a pastoral synthesis. And all of that between eight to nine years. As a seminarian, what
0: is the workload like? Yeah. So seminarians are
1: full-time students, except for that propedeutic year. So they're taking between 16 to 18 credit hours a semester. That's Um, busy. It's busy. And they're also not allowed to have other full-time jobs so that they can be fully engaged and attentive to their studies, to their formation. Something I like a lot about the program we use out in Louisiana is it's very much a literature heavy formation. So they are reading a lot. And it's really a gift to see our seminarians develop a love and a passion for reading. They study philosophy at the minor seminary, theology at the major seminary. While they're studying philosophy at the minor seminary, they're also learning about the historical sequence of philosophy. So they first study the ancient Greeks, and then they look at ancient Catholic philosophy, so St. Augustine and Thomas Aquinas. Then they'll move into looking at modern philosophy, like Rene Descartes around the Enlightenment, and then post-Enlightenment philosophy, so contemporary philosophy. While they're reading and studying all those philosophers and those different writers, they're also taking literature and history courses of that same period. So they're going to read the Aeneid and the Odyssey, they're going to read different historical writings. So they're going to read Cicero. They're reading all these great masterpieces of literature from that same period and studying the history. So what that's giving our seminarians is almost like a classical education or a classical view of human education and a worldview. To be able to posit the events of today in our own theology within the context of something much larger. So rather than seeing our own small like experience and what we have as the end-all be-all, They're able to find roots and connections that span human history, which is a great gift. And then they'll move into theology and begin to make those connections of what the Lord is inviting us to do and how the Lord continues to move through human history to make himself known. On top of the academic formation is pastoral formation, so learning how to care for one another, to prioritize others. Sometimes that means making hospital visits or teaching in schools. Other times it's serving within the community and being asked to make sandwiches for an event at the seminary. So they're learning how to prioritize caring for other people over their own selves, which is an important aspect of being a priest and being someone who cares for other people. Then they have spiritual formation. So they'll receive spiritual conferences. They go to spiritual direction twice a week. They're expected to make a daily holy hour, to attend mass daily, and to pray the liturgy of the hours in community every day. So they spend a lot of time, maybe two to three hours a day spread out throughout the day, in personal prayer or in communal prayer, really recognizing that if they're called to be a priest, it's not their own priesthood. People do not need Chuck Dornquest. Like Chuck Dornquest, cool guy, he's got a great beard. The world doesn't need it in me. Like they they need Jesus Christ. And so spiritual formation for me as a priest and a seminary was learning more of who Christ is and allowing him to become more and more present through and in me. And like praise God that that work continues as a priest that that never ends. He's continuing to sanctify me and purify me and get rid of me and make more of him and it's awesome. It's a great thing that the seminarians really begin that process and learning how to give themselves to it. So they have the academic, the pastoral, the spiritual, and then the final and I think a significant pillar or dimension of formation is the human. And that human formation covers the basics of like learning how to take care of themselves, learning how to brush their hair, to show up on time to things and well-groomed, but also learning how to deal with relationships, how to enter into conflict, how to deal and engage with their own heart, recognizing when there's jealousy or envy or when they feel insecure, when they have attractions, when they find that they are really attracted to this incredible young Catholic woman who's at a retreat. What does that mean within themselves and how do they manage with intelligence those emotions that they're experiencing? That work I find is very difficult. It's very easy to focus on the academic. It's easy to focus on the liturgical. Those are externals that guys can fixate on, but it's the inner human dynamic. It's the family of origin issue stuff, Yeah,
0: psychological, psychological. It's the hormones. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) That that's really important work. I think a lot of times when people are unhappy with priests and parishes, when there are issues, it's not necessarily because of a liturgical grievance, not even necessarily a spiritual grievance. It's a human dynamic. It's a way in which I've been short with parishioners in the past. Like I got frustrated and that's all human formation. So the seminarians are receiving conferences on that. They're encouraged to engage in those conversations amongst themselves. And then they're evaluated twice a year based off of those four dimensions of how they're doing in regards to those growth. Recognizing that a guy who's been in seminary for eight or nine years should be in a very different place than someone who's in their first year but they're evaluated and by, they're whom? by the formation team. So, okay. by the seminary rector, vice rector, different professors, laymen and women who are able to give input and feedback on basically be like, oh, we see this dynamic in Chuck and we think that this could be this and we want it to be brought to his attention. And so, it's something that would be raised for me to look at, to pray with, to bring to spiritual direction. There are times where it's necessary to go to psychological counseling to look at what might be a little bit deeper beneath the surface underlying any potential issues and bringing it to the light for the Lord to bring to healing so that the seminarian myself can be the best version of what I'm called to be, to be what the Lord desires for me to be.
0: So these reviews are not so much to force somebody out of the program, but to make a stronger priest. Correct. Yeah. So, and that's the the point of
1: formation is there are times, of course, where seminarian is dismissed, where an individual is not seen as a viable candidate, either because of their own behavior, something that they've done. Yeah. Most of the time it's their own behavior and something that they've done that's shown, okay, this is not a candidate for the priesthood. But these formation, most of the time it's, because we see something really good in this individual and we want to bring that more and more to the surface. It's difficult. I told our seminarians recently at convocation that really good formation and you receiving really good formation means experiencing a crisis of identity frequently, meaning you have moments regularly where you don't know who you're going to be. If you allow yourself to be changed in this place, meaning it's touching something of your own self-opinion. Say like if I was always considering myself a goofball and I was challenged to be more mature or to grow in gravitas, I have to let go of my own self-identity of being a goofball to receive what it is that the Lord's desiring me to be. That's a crisis of identity that can be really hard. And we live in a time where we say, no, I get to decide my identity. No one challenges it. Seminary formation, what I ask our seminarians is to engage with those crises of identity as often as possible, because that's where we grow. That's where we become less of ourselves and more of Christ, which in the end, all be all is who we're truly called to be like Christ. When he enters more into my life, I don't become less Chuck. I become more Chuck, more Mm. than I could have ever fathomed, but it means letting go.
0: We're talking with Father Chuck Dornquist from the vocations office here in the seminary. As sort of an aside, you had mentioned before about how we all identify and everything else. Do you have to get into questioning now? Yes. Gender and, yeah. and how you were born? We are required to do a genetic test. So we have to test to make sure that someone is a biological male that okay. USCCB has asked for, that the church has asked for. Talk about the social life for a seminary because clearly they spend a lot of time in prayer. Also, by the way, you mentioned they go to spiritual direction twice in a week. Sorry, every two weeks. Oh, every two weeks. Okay. 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 I was gonna say twice in a week. My gosh. <laughs> are, they, are they allowed to pray about anything they want or <laughs> Yeah. So it's every two weeks, every two to three weeks for spiritual direction. Okay. Okay. Talk about the stress and the workload for a seminarian, because when you're just in college taking 18 credits, that's that's a lot and it yep. can get pretty stressful. How it about is. for a seminarian? So thankfully, like within seminary,
1: their environment is geared towards them living this way. And they're with a bunch of peers who are also doing it. So unlike a normal college in which you've got so many different people living so many different goals, lifestyles, whatever, our college seminary in Louisiana, it's the largest college seminary in the country. It's 105, or 110 seminarians, and they're all seeking to accomplish the same goal. They're all dudes. Most of them like sports a lot. And so it's very easy for their downtime to find them playing sports, soccer, basketball. The seminary itself in Louisiana is on a ton of acres of Louisiana forest. So they've got hiking trails, a river, they go fishing, it's really well-designed to be a place where they work hard, but they're also able to engage in rest and recreation. Because of the culture that they find themselves in, meaning a Catholic Louisiana culture, they also do a really good job of celebrating big feasts. And so they regularly have crawfish boils or shrimp boils. They celebrate massively as a community. They do a huge bonfire every year. Last year's bonfire was 32 feet tall, uh, just this incredible structure. And so it's something that I like a lot about our formation or the formation that our guys are receiving there is they're working hard, they're spending a lot of time in prayer, but they're also learning how in the midst of all of that to prioritize community. They are not encouraged. In fact, they're discouraged of going back to their room. Now, of course, going to your room to get the rest you need, that's something. But a lot of our young men, find themselves stuck in video games or stuck within themselves versus learning how to choose community in the world. In seminary, these guys are learning how to choose community and how to create it, which I'm really excited to see that impact when these guys become parish priests and to have pastors who know how to naturally create community because it's what they spent four years doing in Louisiana learning how to do uh, gathering with food and beverage and just spending time without a significant agenda. I'm excited to see that impact on our priests and on our parishes in the future.
0: You have somebody that's listening right now, young male, maybe even a little bit older. Yeah. Yeah. Why should they become a priest? Talk about personally, how has it changed your life If
1: you are called, then you should be a priest. If you're not called, if you've not had an experience of a calling in your own prayer life, if you've not had a moment before the Blessed Sacrament where your heart was moved or stirred, then don't worry. Like if the Lord, if he's calling you, he calls. It's a concrete experience. It's not an idea or a concept It's a reality. The disciples were able to say that they encountered the Lord at four in the afternoon. It's the same thing for us, a tangible experience of a call to priestly ministry. So I wouldn't say to fret about, am I called? Was I called? It's more of an experience. Have I had a moment where I was called? If you've had a moment where you were called and you are panicking and you're worried and you're anxious and you're not sure you're going to be happy or your family's not sure you're going to be happy or you're concerned or... I can assure you the life of a priest when you're called to it is the most meaningful experience each and every day. Like every, every aspect of your life is deeply meaningful and it's, it's hard. <laughs> like it's, there's so much, so much giving, so much sacrificing that you're just, you constantly keep pouring out and you pray to God for the moments when he's able to pour into you and when others pour into you, But then there's just always more to be done. There's always more need. And you become more than you could have ever fathomed yourself being. I think there are times I've had in my own prayer life where the Lord has allowed me to kind of stand back and to look at myself or to look at the ministry and the things that He's done through me and the lives of others. And I weep. Like I break down crying because. Like when, of course, I see myself as, you know, Chuck Dornquest from Zephyr Hills and and that country kid. and, And then I see kind of what it is that others encounter in me and the encounters with Christ that others have had through me, through my words, through my ministry, through my own brokenness and the hearts that have encountered something so much bigger than me because of my yes to the priesthood being a priest, if you're called to it, means allowing yourself to be more than you could have ever fathomed being. If you're looking for peace and feeling at peace with it, you're not going to. Like the peace that I have about being a priest isn't like a comforting peace. It's not like when it's cold outside and you kind of stay in your bed and it's nice and cozy and, and you're perfectly warm. And like, no, I don't have those feelings about being a priest. The feelings I have are almost like those intense moments in sports when you are full tilt giving yourself into this reality and you are so present in the moment, you're using everything and it clicks. It's not music, the same thing happens. Music, when you're part of this, this piece and you know your part and you're giving and you're exercising what, everything you have to get your breath out, but you belong in that moment and it's extraordinary. That's what it's like being a priest, is finding all of you is being utilized to be more than you could have ever fathomed yourself being. It's not comfortable, but it is the most purpose-filled, meaningful life I could ever hope for. And the amazing thing is there are sacrifices. I'd love to have a wife and kids. I think I'd be a really good daddy. I think I'd be a good husband too. My kids would all have mullets and we'd live and have a farm. It'd be awesome. And beards, and beards. oddly enough. <laughs> <laughs> and so I bring that to the Lord. Like I tell him, like, this is something that my heart yearns for intimacy and desires to have that even spousal dynamic. Like, can you satisfy this? And guess what? Like he created my heart. He, He created the capacity I have for intimacy and he desires to bring fulfillment to that. And he does. So when I allow him to be the one who satisfies the desires of my heart, It's extraordinary to witness in ministry, to witness in relationships at the parish or with the group that we just took to World Youth Day, to have these moments within that dynamic where the Lord was actively showing his love and care for me through others. is awesome. So it's a deeply moving, incredibly life-giving experience. And if you're worried that you're not going to be happy, tell him that. And let him respond to it.
0: How many babies <laughs> have you baptized? How many <laughs> confessions have you heard? How many how many masses have you celebrated? Not a clue.
1: So I've been a priest eight years. The amount of sacramental moments, the deathbeds I've been at, the side moments of counsel when people are scared or in crises, the countless moments of significant that I could think of, like, oh yeah, that was a significant conversation. That was, a... And then the insignificant ones. Like the people who, whose lives were changed because they encountered a joyful priest at Mass who celebrated the Mass with joy and reverence, who gave the Eucharistic prayer time. And how many lives have been impacted by that? Like every once in a while, I'll get someone who comes up and they'll say, Father Chuck, I was at one of your Masses six years ago at St. Lawrence, and just the way you celebrated the Mass meant a lot. I'm like, cool. <laughs> hmm. I just celebrate Mass. Like, and the amount of times that, that my life, who I am, has impacted others. And not because of Chuck Dornquist, not because like I'm some Instagram celebrity or because I'm chaplain for the Buccaneers, but it's because Christ has been allowed to live in me. Because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And like trying to figure out how to do that more and more each day, failing because I'm a sinner and asking the Lord to forgive me and to do it again tomorrow.
0: It's awesome. Our guest today is Father Chuck Dornquist from the Vocations Office here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg. And this is How We See It. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program,
1: make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air,
0: visit MySpiritFM.com/slash How We See It.